tent was swaying as the Middle Eastern sun gently rose over the miles of sand. Esau was gone longer than normal. In fact, his dad Isaac was getting just a little bit concerned. Normally, Esau was an amazingly successful hunter, but not in this trip. Nothing was in the water holes, nor the grazing lands, nor the trees. Hours turned into days, and days seemed like weeks. His heart was disheartened, but he knew most of all that his dad would be disappointed. So he slithered home, hoping for some table scraps. As he approached the tents, though, the wind changed. He got a whiff of something. His heart began to pound. It was his lucky day. Jacob, his twin brother, was cooking. Oh, he loved Jacob's cooking. Jacob knew how to perfectly blend the rich Middle Eastern herbs and spices, along with some vegetables and meat, so that your tongue literally danced. Once the aroma wafted over to Esau, it was over. He ran over to Jacob and saw him stirring his famous red stew. While forgetting any manners, Esau demanded some of that stew. Esau was desperate. And Jacob, his brother, took advantage of Esau's appetite. Jacob proposed a trade. A trade to us that probably wasn't so significant. But he said, hey, dear brother, how would you like some of my stew? Jacob's going, of course, of course, I, I, that's it, yes, let's do it. Now, let me remind you, this stew is probably not as good as Dan Hodgkin's soup on our Thanksgiving holiday. But this stew was good. And so he said, how about this? How about if we just make a trade? I would like the birthright and you can have the stew. Well, Esau was absolutely exasperated at this time. He just said, really, the only thing I really care about is to fill my gizzard right now. I just want you to know what good is a birthright, what good is anything, if I'm not alive. Give me the stew. Let's cut the deal. You see, Esau didn't care. And the only thing that really mattered to him was the stew. Our culture doesn't really do this birthright thing. The firstborn male doesn't automatically inherit most of the inheritance. He isn't automatically assumed that he will lead the family. But back in that culture, it was a big deal. Land was handed down throughout all of the generations. Leadership was critical in the clans and in the tribes and even in the nations. So the birthright was this legal right to be the primary heir. If you really see the story, it seems odd for a biblical family to behave like this. 
But Isaac's family had been divided for some time now. Each parent had their favorite. Isaac leaned toward Esau, and Rebekah loved Jacob. God had told Rebekah that, well, he had chosen Jacob to be the favored one. She knew that this was going to go against the culture. For Jacob, I'm not exactly sure how much younger he was than Esau, but at least a couple minutes younger than Esau, which means he was not going to be the heir. I'm pretty sure when God told Rebekah that Jacob, who she favored, would be the favorite, would be God's favorite, she made sure everybody knew. I'm also sure that when Jacob, as they were growing up, reminded his brother often, <laughs> Esau, just, just want to remind you, you look stronger and you look more mighty, but I am God's favorite one. Over the years, the relational gulf widened. Esau's priorities became so very clear. He was so profane. He did not care about the spiritual nor the important things of life at all. In fact, he showed contempt for it. Esau was driven away or driven by his appetites, just like his father, and willingly traded away his birthrights for some stew. Meanwhile, the years passed, and Isaac started getting older. It was time for him to literally pass on the blessing. The blessing were the words that sealed the birthright deal. It would be seen almost as an oracle from God and could not be altered. Today probably would line up to something like signing a will. But Isaac called Esau to his chambers. He knew he was getting on in years, and he knew, well, he wanted to give Esau the blessing. So he shared his thoughts, and he said, Esau, it's about that time. I'd like you to go on out. I'd like you to get my favorite meal. I'd like you to prepare it well. Come on back. Let's enjoy a meal, and I will give you the blessing. Now, I'm pretty sure Isaac knew that wasn't his to give away to Esau. And I'm pretty sure Esau at least had a little bit of a memory that said, hey, wait a minute, I sold this birthright thing, but you know what? Dad, if you want me to do that, I think I'll do it. Well, you know, Rebecca wasn't fooled. She initiated her plan also very quickly. As Esau went out to the hunt and began to find the food that his dad so dearly loved, um, Jacob was called in. He said, hey, Jacob, uh, we've got to move on this one. I just want you to know. Go to the pen. Get me some beautiful young goats. Let's slaughter them. I'll make the meal that will make your dad go crazy. And he'll give you the birth or, or the blessing. Well, Jacob, as many of you know the story, looked really different, acted really different than he saw. And he kind of looked at his mom and he says, uh, I don't think we can pull this off. 
I know dad is kind of losing his sight and his senses are failing and, and this is an important thing, but as soon as I walk into that tent, he's going to know it's not Esau. My brother is hairy, my brother is smelly, and my brother is, uh, I don't act like my brother at all. <laughs> Rebecca's out there. We'll put Esau's clothes on you. And I, I've been reading about this, this trick to make you hairy instantly. We're going to use the goat skin. We're going to somehow wire it on you. And when your dad touches your skin, wherever he touches you, he'll feel like Esau. Wow. Again, as I was growing up, um, my, my brother and I are not twins. But, but there, there were some striking differences. Like, I think my brother began shaving at his eighth grade graduation, you know. He's one of those people, like, really hairy, really different, you know. He's different in many ways, but, but different at least in this area, okay. And I kind of knew that Jacob wasn't really understanding this whole thing. And Rebecca just calmed them down and said, Jacob, just do what I say. Gonna, whatever you say. Well, Jacob followed the plan flawlessly. And he seemed to be the winner. He went through the charade. His dad blessed him. And as he was walking out the tent, Esau comes strutting in. Whoa. Fireworks. Esau was livid. Esau was enraged. Esau wanted to kill Jacob on the spot. Rebecca took Jacob away and basically said, hey, you, you got to leave. This is not going to be pretty. And he's a lot bigger and stronger and more hairy than you are. You are dead. And so Jacob made this trek up to Haran, up in the northern part of Mesopotamia. And as he started to go on, things really changed for Isaac and his family. As I look at this story, and if we would just stay in Genesis 27, where this story is told, we don't see a lot of faith. This whole chapter focuses on a family making some very fleshy decisions. Some decisions that don't reflect any kind of faith at all. In fact, it looks to me like all the participants were at fault and everybody was guilty. Isaac knew of God's plan, but he basically tried to thwart it. Esau agreed to the trade, so I'm not so sure why he went off. Rebecca and Jacob seemed to do what God wanted. That's what God told but they did it the wrong way. You know, there's good news for Jacob and for us. Because the story actually doesn't end here. Jacob would learn. He would learn that God's blessings come by faith, not by deception. How cool is that for Jacob? How cool it is for us. Let me pray. Father, we're going to look into one of your heroes. One of your heroes that, at least initially, doesn't make sense to us. It didn't seem like he really trusted you well. And yet, God, you put him in a part of your Bible 
And you applauded Jacob for his faith. You were pleased by his faith. God, there's some things that happened in his life and some places that you sent him that changed everything. Would you open our eyes this morning? Would you help us understand a little more of what faith literally pleases you? We love you, boy. In your name, amen. We're in a series focusing on God's heroes. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to open your Bibles with me, we're going to read Hebrews 11, verse 21. You know, folks, uh, we, we know the lights are a little dim right now. We're going to raise them just a little. Thank you. But the problem is we have a bank of lights out. And I won't say any more. We're trying to get that fixed. But uh, bear with us, if you will. Okay, back to Hebrews 11.21. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. You know, our text is only one small verse, and it basically summarizes Jacob's story. Let's look into the scriptures this morning and see why God literally applauded Jacob's faith. And why this is an amazing story of faith. The first thing I notice is this. Is God applauded Jacob's faith. Because when he was old and dying, Jacob worshipped. Let's look at Jacob's worship first. We need to understand the big picture in order to better understand why Jacob's worship at the end of his life is such a big deal. Jacob was about 40 years old when Isaac passed on God's blessing. If you would, let's turn back to Genesis, and we're going to spend most of the rest of our time in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 27, I'd like to read specifically the blessing that Isaac gave Jacob. Starting at verse 28. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. What Isaac was basically saying is, may God, the God that I know personally, give you abundant crops. That's probably not a great promise to most of us. If you were a farmer, that'd be awesome. If you were a farmer back in this culture, totally dependent on the weather, totally dependent on the rain, that would be a great promise from the Almighty God. And he said, I want to give you power and authority over nations. Again, understanding the whole culture where there's these clans and tribes and everyone is kind of establishing their rule. And for him to say, hey, I just want you to know, the nations around you are going to submit to you. You are going to be okay in this whole thing. I want to make you the leader of your family. Your brothers are going to bow down to you. You're going to take us into the next generation. And I want to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That's a pretty sweet deal. 
And almost immediately, Jacob felt God's words in God's blessing. If you continue in Genesis and you begin to read down his scenario, he ends up again going up north and living with his uncle Laban. Once he gets up to Laban, he spends at least 20 years there. It could be a little bit more, a little bit less, or a little fuzzy. But he spends time there. First of all, he starts a family. He marries Rachel and Leah. And they start having sons and a daughter. And he starts to raise flocks and he starts to care for flocks and his wealth starts to accumulate. And all of a sudden, some of this is happening in a very unusual manner right before his eyes. In fact, Laban's sons in chapter 31 notice, hey, everything that Jacob touches turns to gold. His flocks are bigger. His scenarios, he's being taken care of. I'm a little bit jealous. We don't like him. Let's get rid of him. And so in Genesis chapter 31, you just turn over a few pages. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. You're going to see in all of God's interactions with Jacob, he continually reaffirms who he is. He makes sure that God know, or, or that Jacob knows that God is going to walk with him all the way. Now, to be quite honest, we don't get the whole picture because things are sweet. And although he's having a little problem with his father-in-law at this moment, if he has to go back home, there's going to be a conflict. There's going to be a confrontation. And so this isn't just as easy as saying, hey, uh, let's move everyone back and everything will be great and let's just run from our problem. God says it takes, it's now time to go back home, to go back to Canaan, to literally go back to Hebron. That's where you need to establish yourself. That's the promised land. That's where I want you to settle. And so actually, after being reminded that God's going to be with him, he starts this trek. Well, he did it secretly. He knew Laban would be upset. Laban brings a family army. You can read this. He chases Jacob and says, Jacob, what are you doing? You're taking my daughters, my grandkids, all these flocks. What's going on? And basically he said, well, God told me to return home. They kind of settled their differences. They made peace with each other. All right. Laban went back home and Jacob continued his travel. If you turn to chapter 32, some things are going to stick out to you. First of all, it starts off as Jacob started on his way again, going back south. Angels of God came to meet him. And when Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. This is God's camp. Now again, God talks to Jacob. God reaffirms Jacob. I'm going to be with you, Jacob. Um, let's go south. Let's go back home. Just as he starts the journey again, some angels show up. I'm not sure what the angels look like. I'm not sure if they were dressed like him, but... They were angels. They were God's messengers. And probably one of them was the incarnate Jesus Christ. And he meets 
again and say, like, what's, this, what's the problem? Why, why is God spending so much time with Jacob right now? Because literally, Jacob knew he had to meet Esau. And the last time he saw Esau, he says, I'm going to kill you. He didn't know what was going on. He was now a very wealthy man. He had his family established. And I guess he just didn't want any trouble. So angels again come and say, hey, I just, I'm meeting with you. I'm talking with you. I'm encouraging you. You're doing what I want you to do. Keep going, buddy. And Jacob says, okay, I can do this. And he moves again down south. But before he does that, he sends out a little band. And he, he sends this little caravan down to Esau. And he says, hey, I'm coming home. I just want you to know this. I'm going to be bearing gifts. And I can't wait to see you, brother. Well, Esau hears about this. And he sends 400 men. Oh, boy. Jacob hears about it, doesn't even know what's going on, doesn't know if these 400 men are here to wipe him out, steal all of his bounty, or whatever he's going to do. So what Jacob does, even after all this attention, if, if you see this, what Jacob does, look at verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, Oh God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Oh God, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. And I am not worthy of all this unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. Little lower, verse 11, please rescue me. Verse 12, you promised me. I will surely treat you kindly. I will multiply your descendants. And, and he's thinking, you know what? Esau's going to wipe me out. I'm not going to multiply. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to. God, you promised me all this stuff. What's the deal? Well, God has been meeting faithfully with him. God has been talking with him faithfully. He said, I am going to be with you. You just keep listening to me. Well, after he reminds him of his promises, after God basically settles him down, he comes up with a strategy. And he's going to divide all of his possessions, some of his family here, some of his family there, some of his sheep, some of his camels, all the different things. And he's going to divide them, and hopefully, in the back of his head, he's not trusting God too much, but if Esau's a little mad, he's just going to wipe out half of my family and possessions. And the scriptures say this, in verse 22 in chapter 32, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant uh, wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said this, I will not let you go until you bless me. Again, for many of us, you've seen a story. Maybe you've heard this even in Sunday school or Dawana or maybe in some family devotions. And I'm, I'm not sure if you get all that's happening. Just about every commentator and just about every biblical interpreter I know thinks that this man is Jesus Christ himself. 
And so Jacob comes back. His property is all over there. He knows the next day he's going to meet Esau. And this dude shows up. Now, again, I don't exactly understand the situation. It's late at night. He comes walking in the camp. He says, hey, let's wrestle. I, I don't know if he went there. I don't know if they kind of had some coffee first. I don't know if they kind of talked about the circumstances or the situations. But for some reason, my sense is the man was here. Jacob knew who it was. And I kind of think that this man was leaving. And Jacob said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to see Esau tomorrow. You are not leaving. You're staying here. And the match begun. And they're wrestling, and they're holding, and he's grabbing, and finally this man, man, this guy's not giving up. I don't know if, he, if it was because he was Jewish. I don't know what the situation was, but he hung on. And finally he says, I can fix this. I'm going to pull your picking leg out of the socket. I'm not, again, not sure how all that happened, but it happened. And so now all of a sudden, Jacob's in pain. He's hanging out for life, you know. Picture this. He says, what do you want? And Jacob said, I'm not letting go till you bless me. And all he's really saying this again, he goes, hey, you know, I want you to have a lot of help. No, he's saying, would you tell me the promises again? <coughs> would you please tell me the promises Things aren't looking good. I'm not feeling so good right now. Tell me the promises again. And so he does. He tells them the promises. And he's encouraging him. And verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men Jacob called the place in verse 30, Peniel. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping. He was limping. He named it Peniel because he said that I met God face to face and didn't die. All his journey, God's been talking to him. All this journey, he's been encouraging him. Well, in chapter 33, he limps toward Esau. There is an unbelievably joyous reunion. No one would have thought about this. He, again, didn't come to wipe out Jacob. He came to embrace Jacob. God's blessings, God's promises. There was no need for Jacob to worry. God was in charge of this situation. And he enjoyed blessing. But all the way through, over and over and over, God would talk to him. God would meet with him. God would remind him, and in some cases, God would wrestle with him. In Genesis 35, he says this, let's keep moving. Move down to Bethel. Now, Bethel, again, was lower on the path. We we're moving a little bit more, and he reminds Jacob again just like all of us need it over and over and over again. But chapter 35, starting, starting in verse 9. Now that Jacob had returned from Paddan Aram, or uh, Haran, God appeared to him again at Bethel. He shows up again. God blessed him. God reassured him again. 
saying, your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. The second time he said that. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai. I am the almighty God. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation. Uh, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. And I will give you a land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken. Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place that God had spoken to him. And he worshipped God there. We look at all this, how God was faithful, how Jacob wavered, but each incident, his faith began to grow. The Almighty reminds him of his name change, Jacob to Israel. He said, be fruitful, multiply, you will become a great nation. I will give you this land over and over the same promises. Well, he continues his journey down to Hebron. And on his way, in transit, Rachel, one of his wives, has a baby. She dies in childbirth. The baby's name is Benjamin. And literally, Jacob buries her right probably in the area of Bethlehem there. Jacob goes down and settles in Hebron. And the scriptures tell us when he was about 120 years old and Isaac was about 180, Isaac died and he was buried. Now here's the key. It's kind of a long introduction, but hang on there. Let's jump over to Genesis chapter 47. Chapter 47. 27 years later, Jacob is now 147. He has watched God work in his life for over 100 years. He's very different 147-year-old than he was a 40-year-old. And look at the scripture, starting at verse 27. This is at the very end of Jacob's life. Uh, Joseph is ruling over Egypt at the time. Many of you know the story. So Jacob's there, ready to die. Meanwhile, the people of Israel settled in the region of Goshen in Egypt, where they acquired property, and they were fruitful, and their population grew rapidly. Jacob lived for 17 years after his arrival in Egypt. So he lived 147 years in all. At the time of his death, Drew near, Jacob called his son Joseph and said to him, Please do me this favor. Put your hand under my thigh and swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring my last request. Do not bury me in Egypt. When I die, take my body out of Egypt and bury me with my ancestors. So Joseph promised, I will do what you ask. Swear to me, Jacob says. Joseph gave his oath, and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. Wow. He said, don't bury me in Egypt. All along, God said that you're going to give me a land. Now, I know the land isn't mine right now. I know we're all living in Egypt. I know things don't look all that good, but I want you to know I believe God. I believe God like crazy so much that I want you to bury me back in our homeland. 
You saw God's blessing in Egypt for 17 years. And God's promise was the frosting on the cake. Now, in some of your versions I just read, he worshipped at the head of his bed. We read in our text literally just before in Hebrews 11, they bowed in worship and leaned on his staff. The truth is this, the word between bed and staff in Hebrew is one, the difference is one little dot. Now, I'm not sure if it's worshiping God at his bed or if it's worshiping God with his staff. All right, I don't. But I lean toward his walking stick or his staff because Jacob needed it after his encounter with God 80 years before when he wrestled with God. You see, by faith, Jacob saw all this and he worshiped God. He adored God. God was so faithful. And the last thing he said, hey, if you just bring my bones back, if you bring them back, I will worship you. You see, he had faith without experiencing every promise. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, he said this, all these people, all these heroes who were listed, earned a good reputation because of their faith. But none of them received anything that God had promised. It was to come. But the faith that they had up to that point gave them the courage to trust God all the way. You know, the second thing I noticed is that God applauded Jacob's faith because when he was old and dying, Jacob blessed Joseph's son. Literally, he blessed Joseph. In chapter 48, um, Jacob is failing quickly now. Joseph is called and he brings in his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh is the older one and he puts him right in front of his right arm. Ephraim is the younger one, puts him right in front of his left arm. And Jacob begins blessing Joseph by blessing the boys. Look at verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life, and even this very day, the angel, interesting how he changes, who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout all of the earth. Jacob begins blessing his boys. He says this, May the God who walked with my grandfather and father, may the God who was my shepherd, may the God who was my redeemer or literally savior bless you. See, all of a sudden, Jacob was reflecting. His life was full. But he knew that through the years, his God was personal. He had a relationship with God. God would always show up. God was with him in his journey. He knew that his God would care for him. He knew what a shepherd was. But he also knew his God was a shepherd. One of our favorite psalms in scriptures is Psalm 23. And David starts off like this. The Lord is my shepherd. This is nothing new. I have no need of anything. Because my God will take care of everything. 
And then he says, hey, my God, who has redeemed me. By the way, this is the first time the word redemption is used in the scriptures. And God continues to go back and call himself a savior, a redeemer. You see, God is still a God who walks with us. God is still a God who shepherds us, cares for us. And God is still a God who redeems us, who saves us initially from sin's consequences, and then from sin's power, and then from sin's presence. And he says to the boys, may this God, this God I just described you, may he bless you by protecting and preserving your identity. May he grow you into a great nation. And in verse 20, he adds something else. And Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing also. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. And they will say, may God make you prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. And in this way, Jacob put Ephraim instead of Manasseh. Basically, he says, he's going to bless you by making you prosperous. Now, if you read this story, we won't spend a lot of time on it. But Joseph gets a little upset. Because Manasseh is the older one. He's the one that's supposed to get the birthright. He's the one that's supposed to get the greater share of the blessing. But Jacob does this move. Boom. And Joseph is going over there, Dad, what are you doing? Doesn't every kid like kind of say that no matter what age they are? Dad, you don't know what's going on. Dad, you're screwed. Dad, you're so old, you're going senile. You don't know what you are doing. And Jacob just kind of took a deep breath. He says, I do know what I'm doing. I've been listening to my God. And my God says, we're going to bless Ephraim over Joseph, let me just remind you, that's what God did with me. Do you remember that? God said that I would be the favored one, and my brother Esau is the older. You see, God's ways are not ours. And Jacob gets it, and now Joseph gets it. You see, Jacob had faith to listen to God at the last stages of his life. Even if the culture says, you're crazy, you're blessing the wrong guy. You see, when Jacob was old and dying at 147, his faith was strong. He reflected all over his life, and he saw God show up every part or every chapter of his life reassuring him I am with you and I will keep my promises his faith and his worship increased he was so overwhelmed and amazed by the almighty God at the end of this time that he just wanted to pass it on he wanted his grandkids to know about it. He wanted his sons to know about it. He was so grateful to be in God's family. 
You see, trusting God at the end of his life is a big deal. And that is why Jacob is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Every one of us know that trusting God when we're eight years old, well, sometimes is, needs courage. But when you're 80 and you've watched God work all the way through your life, this faith develops over time. Remember, spend time with your father. Trust and obey your dad so that when you're old and dying, you'll be worshiping your king and sharing great stories of God's grace and faithfulness. I'd like to close my message with a song called Trust in You. Letting go of every single dream I lay each one down at your
promise us your presence. And your God we doubt you times. We think we know more. We think we know what plans are best for us. And God, your promises have never been broken. You're faithful and you walk with us. But <coughs> we know that without faith it's impossible to please you. Would you open our eyes? Would you give us a glimpse of who you are? <coughs> and would you be patient? We love you, Lord.